Our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Both readings will be from the New Revised Standard Version. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, and Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing the plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments, all the garments ro rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew 4, 12 to 17. Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that, when, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road to the sea, by the sea, Across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come now, has come near. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, is it, am I on? Okay. <clears throat> Tech stuff is fun. Uh, seems like every, every week there's a, a new wrinkle that we try and figure out, and um, I'm so thankful that there are other people to help uh, spread the wealth of anxiety that comes when the mics uh, don't turn on, um, but... Mike, you have been doing a great job. 
Uh, so thank you so much. And uh, Jan and Phyllis and Chet, uh, Chet, I don't know if you know what you got yourself into in the last couple weeks uh, learning the ropes on the computer, but uh, you've been getting a glimpse of it, of what goes into uh, helping us facilitate worship, not just here in person, but for folks online as well. Well, we are uh, going to tackle something different. We have done this a few times uh, since I've been here at Spring Creek, where we take a book of the Bible and we walk through that book. And uh, I think we've done Ephesians and uh, we did First and Second Chronicles. Uh, that was uh, a lengthy walk through those books. We are going to dive into the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is a lengthy book, 66 chapters. And lest you think that we're going to spend the next you know, year walking through Isaiah, we're going to do the first half this summer, and we're going to do the second half next summer. So we're going to do chapters 1 through 39 this summer, and then we'll do 40 to 66 next summer. So we'll be taking our time. Obviously, that's not one chapter a week, uh, so we're going to be reading through this book. I encourage you to read along, to open up your Bibles, to, to see what Isaiah is, is saying, to see um, the situation that surrounds the people of Judah in that book and, and in the ancient world. And so we're going to be looking at that uh, together this summer. We are actually going to start chapter 1 and chapter 2 next week. And so this morning, I just want to give us a glimpse. Often when we come to Scripture, at least... Um, Kind of the way I started was I would open it up and I would try and um, I would often take their situation and apply it directly to my situation. And what I have found as I, I'm learning and, and growing is that there, there's some ways we can do that. Uh, but when we open up the text, we come as visitors because we are some uh, we are a long time removed from the days of Isaiah, and so. Part of our uh, task as people who want to responsibly read the Bible is to understand the situation that the prophet addresses or that the other writers address, to see how God is working and moving in their lives, and to see how God might be moving and teaching uh, in our lives today. And so we're going to uh, do a little bit of intro uh, material this week. It's a combination of uh, Bible, history, uh, and all other fun subjects that you thought you have forgotten. Um, I figure some of you are out of school for the summer, and so on Sunday mornings, I'm sorry, uh, Ryan, but you're going to have to go back to school for a little bit this summer. As we take a look at Isaiah this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, we are grateful for these words. We are grateful for the way Isaiah proclaimed them, for the way that we see uh, a fuller picture of that in, in you, Jesus, and for the way you continue to encourage, give us hope, but also give us some hard words that we need to hear in our day, in our time. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
One of the reasons why I think uh, Isaiah is an important book for us to look at specifically in our day and our time is that many of the challenges that faced Judah in Isaiah's day have some kind of echo in our day and our time. Not not the same uh, challenges that faced them, um, but similar uh, situations, similar uh, ways that we can find... um, challenge as well as hope in this book. From the earliest days of the church, um, writers, commentators, pastors have seen in Isaiah words, uh, have seen them in a fresh way, have seen glimpses of Jesus. Some of the, the earliest church fathers, people that lived shortly after the time of Jesus, even referred to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. They saw in Isaiah a very clear pointing forward to Jesus. The historical context in which Isaiah was written is something that maybe we forget. And so I want to remind us of the biblical story, of of what happens in what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. If you remember back early on in the book of Genesis, the people of God, Israel, find their way down into Egypt. They are fleeing there because there is famine and they don't have enough food. And they find, for a time, uh, relief from that famine in Egypt. Many years later, a new pharaoh comes uh, to power and doesn't know this story of Joseph, doesn't know who these people of Israel are. And so he finds in them a uh, workforce and turns them into slaves. And then we get the exodus. The people are freed. They uh, go out from Egypt. And when they go out from Egypt, they come immediately to the promised land. And they look, and the people are really big, and the food is really big. And they're afraid of going into that promised land. And because of their lack of trust, they spend the next 40 years wandering through the wilderness. Eventually, they emerge out of that wandering into the the promised land. They they begin to take possession of the land, uh, but they do that very um, sporadically, very incompletely. They're not following exactly the way God wanted things to go. And so they're often being oppressed and and, uh, opposed by by other people, other, other nations. And throughout that time in Israel's history, there were judges. There were men and women who would come and help lead God's people for a time. Uh, So people like Samson and and, uh, Deborah and and other heroes that would kind of rise up at specific moments to help lead God's people. But eventually, the people of Israel, they look around at everybody around them, and everybody else around them has a king who's leading them and very powerful and and kind of represents the people. And And so Israel decides, we want to be like everybody else, and we want our own king. I don't know about you. I don't know how many times I heard, well, if so-and-so is doing it, does that mean that you have to do it? If so-and-so wants to jump off a bridge, does that mean that you are going to jump off the bridge? I don't know why everybody's friends are always jumping off the bridge, but it seems like that's every parent's go-to thing. And if Israel is a child, which they're often referred to as a child, sometimes in good ways and sometimes in not so good ways, I believe Israel would be lining up on the bridge to jump off because everybody else is doing it. 
And so they want a king, they petition to have a king, they, they, they demand to have a king, and eventually God relents. And of course, the king thing doesn't go all that well for the people of Israel. Their first king is Saul, who... Uh, kind of takes matters into his, his own hands. He begin, begins um, kind of wrestling with his demons and turning away from God. And then we get David, a man after God's own heart, who's still a pretty broken and fragile person. Following David is Solomon. And then Solomon, he's got his own issues. He's, he's marrying everyone that he can, it seems. Uh, both his political alliances and just kind of really messed up. His sons then start to rebel. They, they, they kind of tear things apart. And then for a time, it completely splits Israel into two groups, into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom, who is Israel, um, or sometimes in Scripture they're referred to as Ephraim because Ephraim was the, the biggest clan of the area, the most powerful clan, and they had their capital in Samaria. The southern kingdom is often called Judah because Judah was the most powerful clan in the south, and uh, Judah, along with the clan of Levi or the Levites, the priests, they reside primarily in the south, and their capital is Jerusalem with the temple. And so uh, as we think back uh, towards ancient Israel, we kind of have to figure out when we're talking about uh, as we use the term Israel. For a time, there is civil war between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, but eventually there is this uneasy peace between the two kingdoms, at least for a time. And then we get to the 8th century BC. I'm sorry, here's a little bit of history. We got to know the context. We got to know when Isaiah is writing. And this is when Isaiah begins to write. Uh, the Assyrian people begin to invade the land of Israel and Judah. And Israel, northern kingdom, form an alliance with Syria. And they attempt to coerce Judah, who's the southern kingdom, to join them against Assyria. And King Ahaz, he's mentioned in, in several books in the Bible. Uh, he's the king of Judah, and he seeks an alliance with Assyria to fight Israel and Syria. And there's all these names. So there's, there's lots of civil war happening in this place at this time. Judah ends up becoming kind of a, a vassal state to Assyria. And then Assyria conquers Syria and Israel. Everybody's conquering one another. King Hezekiah of Judah attempts a rebellion against Assyria. And Judah, Judah, Jerusalem, it ends up suffering because it tries to rebel against Assyria. They suffer retribution. Jerusalem is saved but, but forced to pay high taxes to Assyria. One of the interesting things, this, is, this story comes in um, Kings, a little bit of Chronicles, uh, it emerges in, in Isaiah. This is one of the, the stories in the Bible that is attested to by multiple uh, witnesses outside of Scripture. Uh, this story shows up in the Assyrian historical records. It also shows up in the Egyptian historical records, and they more or less uh, reflect one another. Of course, everybody's history is filled with propaganda and 
that is true in the ancient world because Assyria is kind of telling the story a little bit different. They don't want you to know that God has, uh, that Israel's God, Judah's God has turned them away at the gates. And so they kind of say, we came up against the city and we didn't conquer it, but we're getting a lot of taxes from them. So they don't want to tell you the full story. They don't want it in their history, in their record, that not everything went according to plan. Uh, the Egyptians have their own uh, kind of twist on the story to help themselves not look so bad either. Eventually, Israel, the northern kingdom, is conquered and they are sent into exile. And then later, Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem and the temple and the exiles the people to Babylon. The, the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, remain as a collective, cohesive group. They are the people that will eventually come out of exile, come back to Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple. It's in exile that the people of Judah start to be identified as Jews, Judah, Jew. That's where that, that term begins to happen um, as these people emerge and come out. Eventually, uh, King Cyrus of Persia conquers Babylon and allows the exiles uh, to return to Judah and Jerusalem. This is the historical situation. I know we that's kind of a brush through some very complex history. But this is the situation in which Isaiah is writing. Isaiah is writing to help us understand why the people of Judah are in the situation that they are in. He sees that through these series of events, through this series of being conquered and persecuted, of being exiled, that God is helping to refine his people. That God is holding them accountable for uh, the way that they have mistreated justice, for the way they have mistreated uh, the temple, for the way they have failed to, to live out their calling. But he also is offering them hope in the midst of these hard situations. And so Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 covers events from the Assyrian invasion of Judah and Israel through King Hezekiah's rebellion. It's roughly a 40-year period. And so as we start through this summer, keep in mind that Isaiah 1 to 39 is happening over a 40-year period. It's not like Isaiah has all of these visions and all of these statements at one time. He is... He is giving them over, over a lifetime of ministry. Okay, So it's hap happening over 40 years. Isaiah is providing a commentary on the events happening around him and giving glimpses into where this story is heading. So that's a little bit of the context, the history of where Isaiah is written. Isaiah is also one of the uh, prophetic books in the, the Old Testament. Now, when I hear prophecy or a book of prophecy, I have tended to think in terms of telling the future. I tend to think that's what prophecy is about. But in Hebrew scripture, prophecy is primarily about telling the truth, truth-telling. 
not necessarily always about telling the future, although that is part of what prophecy is about, but is primarily geared about telling the truth about what is happening in the world. And so prophets typically addressed situations that were at hand or soon to be at hand. Prophets were recognized because their predictions came true and people could recognize it. And so Isaiah, as he is writing, is addressing first the situations facing the people of Judah in the last half of the 8th century B.C. This is the initial group that Isaiah is addressing. But Scripture is also something that is meant to be meditated on, for us to, to think about and to come back to again and again and again. Scripture to the Hebrew people was intended to be read and recited day after day after day. They were in constant conversation with the text. They were mulling it over. They were discussing. They were debating. They were trying to figure out what God's word was and how to live it out. And so they were constant conversation with it. They were bathed in the text. One of the, the Old Testament psalmist poets talked about how the scriptures were sweet like honey. In fact, eventually Jewish students would introduce the practice of licking honey off of the Torah, the, the first five books of our Bible. And they would, they would lick the, the honey off of the, the scroll or the, the text, and they would be reminded that God's word was as sweet as honey. It was a, a very graphic reminder to them how important, how central God's word was to their lives. And so as they wrestled with scripture, as they memorized it, as they recited it, as they prayed it, as it was just a, an integral part of their life, they began to see themes and patterns of the Hebrew scriptures that would emerge. And some of those patterns and themes that emerge in Isaiah's book the first one is judgment. It doesn't take long. In fact, if you start reading along with Isaiah, you're going to run into the judgment theme pretty much right at the start. God is saying to his people in ancient Judah, look, you have not lived up to your end of the bargain. You were uh, chosen you were, you know, I chose Abraham and I chose his offspring. I blessed them in order that they would bless other people. In order that they would be a blessing to all nations. And you've screwed that up. You've messed up. You haven't been blessing other people. You've been ignoring some of the most vulnerable people in your midst. And Isaiah has some pretty tough words for the people of Judah. They had forgotten Yahweh, their God. They had not exercised authority on behalf of marginalized people, what we often translate as justice. And because of this, Yahweh is allowing the nations to be a tool of judgment as a way of refining or, or burning away the impurity from Judah. And so this is one of the themes that happens again and again and again throughout Scripture, but it, it is highlighted in Isaiah. 
another one of the themes or patterns that, that emerge. And let me just say this. When I was taking like literature and English classes in, in high school, we would get to the end of the book and the teachers would all talk, what, what about this pattern? What about this theme? And I was like, I was just reading the book. Why, you know, if you could have started with the themes and the patterns, that probably would have helped me. And so I'd always get to the end and I'd be like, what? What are we talking about themes and patterns? I wasn't good at reading those. And, and I will say that that's been true for a lot of my life in reading scripture. I, you know, I just, I just open it up and I read the story that's there in front of me. And I, and I don't necessarily think about how these patterns and themes and cycles get played throughout other stories in scripture. And so I'm kind of trying to give you one of the cheats to this, this book before we get started so that as you read it, you go, oh, okay, this is that theme at play. This is where this is going. This is uh, part of what I can look for as we go through this story. So judgment is one of those. Hope is another one. Sounds kind of weird to have this book where judgment is a theme, but also hope is a theme. Because while Judah is being refined, while they are suffering uh, all this war and famine and exile and lots of turmoil going on around them, Isaiah is also offering hope. This is certainly a very painful process for Judah. And, and not just kind of a, you know, a spiritual pain, not just a spiritual angst. And these people are suffering the effects of war and disease and famine. But during that, in the midst of that, Isaiah is pointing towards glimmers of hope. One of the other themes, uh, there's lots of other themes running throughout Isaiah, but one of the other big ones that I want to highlight that will help set our course is the theme of a remnant. The theme of a remnant comes to life in Isaiah. That the covenant to Abraham, remember back in the story of Genesis, God meets with Abraham, he walks him out under the stars, he says, look up at the stars, count the stars, can you count the stars? This is how many uh, descendants you are going to have. And I'm going to bless you in order that you might bless other people. Well, when you are being conquered, when other kingdoms around you are more powerful and they're coming in and, and even Jerusalem, the temple, the house of God is in danger, danger, excuse me. When, when the king of Judah is being uh, persecuted and his life is in danger, it would appear that this covenant is in jeopardy. It, would, it could appear to some in the ancient world and, and to some in Judah that maybe Yahweh isn't who Yahweh says he is. There's another covenant then with, with David that uh, one of the descendants of David will sit on the throne forever. And certainly as Judah and Jerusalem are being besieged, this covenant would seem in jeopardy too. And yet Isaiah talks about a remnant, a faithful people who will make it through, that these covenants are not lost. A remnant will continue. So years, hundreds of years, about 700 years later, Jesus 
In the early church, they have been studying these passages. They're taking notice of these themes, and Jesus is helping them see that, that this had some kind of fulfillment in, back in Isaiah's day. But Jesus wants to show us a bigger picture, that there's a bigger version of this story at play, that these cycles that happened back, these themes, these patterns that happened back in Isaiah's day, there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger pattern emerging, and Jesus is pointing that out. That's why our scripture was out of Isaiah, and then Jesus is using those words later during his life, during his ministry. A bigger, fuller picture is being pointed to as Jesus is the Messiah. All right, we're coming towards the end here. Bear with me just a a couple minutes longer. One word of caution as we read this book of Isaiah. Anytime we read Scripture, we are entering the world of the Scripture as a guest. Isaiah is writing 730 years B.C. We are living 2,021 years A.D. And so we have been you know, completely separated from their world. We don't know exactly the situations that were unfolding. And so as we read this ancient text, we are entering their world as guests, as time travelers, as it would be. If you would go to another country, if I assume at some point other countries will allow us to come and visit. Um, When you go to another country, you do your homework, right? You do some research. If I'm going to go to... You know, I would love to go to, to Greece. I would love to go to uh, Italy and, and see you know, some of the, the historical uh, landmarks there. I would have to do research. I would want to know what I'm getting into. And so as we read Scripture, it would be helpful if we do a little bit of understanding of their world. Because this was first God's word to them, to ancient Judah in the 8th century B.C., before it becomes our word. Our job as people who want to dig deeply into the sweet text is to read carefully and well, but understand that we are visitors. I think there has been a tendency, especially in American Christianity, to read into Isaiah and to read into other Old Testament prophecy or other passages or other New Testament passages, in particular, I'll just say Revelation, to make it about America. In 8th century BC, the United States does not exist. And in 1st century AD, the United States does not exist. Okay, So it's not really about us as the United States. Okay, Uh, So we need to be careful about that. Treating America as God's new chosen special possession uh, reads back into the text something that that Isaiah does not intend. The church becomes God's primary means of grace in the world. And so if there is a pattern in Isaiah to be seen that may direct how we see America, it's that on occasions God uses empires and nations as tools. God allows Assyria to be a tool for a while, to to exercise some judgment, 
and then judges Assyria by allowing it to be conquered by Babylon. And then Babylon serves a purpose for a time until Persia comes along. And then Persia serves a purpose for a time until uh, the Greeks come along. And then the Greeks serve a purpose for a time until Rome comes along. Okay? If you want to read America into the biblical story, read it into that part. That there's a time and a place, and then there's probably not a time and a place. All right? We need to be careful about how we read our role into this story. I want us to look for those themes and patterns that repeat. Look for the themes of judgment, hope, and remnant as we read, study, and contemplate Isaiah. Patterns of how God uh, refined his people in the 8th century B.C. can help us understand how God might be refining us today. We are facing very different challenges, very different situations around us, and yet, if you open your eyes, you see that not everything is right around us. And so there are things that happened in the 8th century B.C. that have echoes into our day. And so we can look at Isaiah's words, look at the, the lessons that Isaiah was trying to teach to the people of Judah, and the church today may learn some lessons too. We see how Isaiah gave glimpses of hope amid some very difficult times for Judah. Perhaps we can find some hope and comfort amidst struggles, tension, and turmoil of our own time. May it be so. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go in peace. Have a great week, Spring Creek.